0: So, guys, this morning is going to be one of my favorite mornings. I've already been in it once. Um, my sister, Katie, is here. And through through the years, you have heard stories about Katie. Katie and I were the first ones saved in our family, and we were kind of a partnership with the, to our whole family with the gospel and Um, and she's not just my sister, she's one of my very best friends, and she has a heart that burns for God. I've tried to have her here for three years, and something has happened that it hasn't happened, and um, when you hear her story this morning, you'll know why God waited for just this, for such a time as this. She is here, and so would you welcome with me my sister Katie.
1: Thank you so much. It, it really is such a privilege to be here. I'm so excited because Tom speaks so highly of all you guys. He loves being your pastor, so that honors me that I get to come and spend a little time with you all. Um, and I love being in Wisconsin. I'm, I'm married to a Marine, former Marine, so we have— <laughs> <hurrah>. <laughs> So, obviously, lived all over, um, and, and I live in Virginia now, but I will always consider Wisconsin my home. I, I love it here. You probably all know we grew up in Milton in a big family, six kids. My mother actually had the first four right in a row, close together, and then she lost a child. So, there's a gap between the four older kids, and then Tom is number five, and Jim is number six. So we used to call Tom and Jim the Little Boys for a long time, (laughs) even when they kind of grew up. Uh, But another nickname we had for them that has stuck to this day is the Squirrels. And they have that nickname because Tom and Jim have just incredible imaginations. And, And when they were little, they would make up these games and they would play them all around the house at all hours, usually at a very loud volume. <laughs> okay. And so us older kids, sometimes we'd get annoyed with the squirrels. Sometimes we'd laugh at them. Sometimes we'd be a little mystified, like, what are they doing? But we always had this kind of feeling of respect for how much they just enjoyed being together. And they had so much fun together. And now all of us are a part of it. And we all love to play games and be together. And we're going actually from here to a family reunion where it will be nonstop games and <laughs> togetherness. <laughs> and for me right now, that really is a little bit of heaven on earth. And that's what I titled my message this morning, heaven on earth, with a question mark. Obviously, chatting about more than just using that as a phrase to describe something we enjoy. I just, when we think about heaven on earth, oftentimes we think of two very distinct spaces. Like when we think of heaven, a lot of times we just think about, well, that's a place I go to when I die. Hopefully. And we conjure up images maybe of, you know, angels or clouds or music or streets of gold or no pain and the presence of God, peace. And then when we think of earth, we think of a very separate space. Now there's good things down here, like family reunions and beauty, but there's also a lot of pain and a lot of sickness and a lot of evil and darkness and wickedness and So my question, can heaven and earth intersect? And I say, absolutely, because Jesus came from heaven to earth to show the way. Reminds me of a song. I will not break out in (laughs) singing for you, but Jesus came from heaven to earth to make a way. And he tells us in his Sermon on the Mount... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not will be when they die, but is. He, he said, seek first his kingdom, and then all that stuff that you're worried about here on earth, it'll be added unto you. And um, what, did he, what did he mean by that? And when he, when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, pray like this. Thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. What is he telling us? He's saying that on earth, you will have trouble. He promised just that. (laughs) But when you come to me, when you humble yourself and make a relationship with God a priority through me by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll, you'll still have those troubles but I can give you a new perspective. I can, I can bring triumph out of tragedy. I can walk through that valley of death with you and, and be with you, and that is heaven on earth, because he guarantees his presence through, through the darkness. Okay, so. That sounds good. (laughs) I mean, it's true, but it sounds good while we're all here in church and, you know, we're like, yes. But what does it really honestly look like in an everyday, just ordinary life? What does that look like? And that's what I want to talk about this morning by just sharing two stories with you. I love stories. I don't know if Tom's told you, but I do this podcast with some friends called She Speaks Stories and our tagline is stories change lives now we know it's the power of the holy spirit that is actually the change agent but god and jesus obviously use stories all the time to communicate spiritual truths to human beings to to explain who he is and how he operates and how he feels about us and all that he uses stories because We can see ourselves in those stories and then understand truths better. So I'm going to share two stories, one from the Bible and a little bit of my own story. Okay, so a couple years ago, my podcast partner, uh, Susan, and I, we were down in Atlanta at a church conference. And my doctor called me. I had had a biopsy uh, about a month before the conference, and he called to tell me, I'm sorry but you have very, very aggressive cancer and you need to come in right away and start treatments. So that night in the hotel room, Susan and I obviously were talking about the diagnosis and the way and all that. And I said to her, you know, I honestly am not saying, God, why me? I'm honestly saying, why not me? Because our podcast, we interview people with stories. Now, a good story always has conflict of some kind, Um, financial or physical or relational or spiritual or emotional. There's always some kind of conflict on the outside, and then that stirs up inner conflict, and then there's always some kind of resolution. So every story in our podcast, God is always the hero. He steps in, and he brings resolution of some way, shape, or form. It's not always a tidy bow because obviously people are still alive if they're telling their story. So, but resolution of some kind. okay? So we've interviewed these women for like two years. I'm like, Susan, I guess it's just my turn now to, to live out the story. And I was so cocky. I'll just be honest with you. I'm like, look. I'm a woman of faith, I know who God is, I know he can rescue, I know who I am in him, I'm secure in that, I know my reason here for even living on earth is to glorify him and learn to enjoy him forever, I'm going to sail through this trial and glorify God. Oh my, (laughs) I, I was so naive because I really didn't know what I was up against. And so when I got back um, and started the treatment, they said, your cancer is so aggressive that we have to be very, very aggressive with the treatment. And we're going to hit you hard right up front with the worst we have. And you're going to be very, very sick. So they put me on this chemo that was nicknamed the red devil. And I literally felt like I had descended into hell. And I had some dark, dark days. So fast forward, I got through the worst of the chemo. I had a couple operations and then I was facing radiation and then six more months of chemo. But in that gap time, my pastor in Virginia called me up and he said, hey, I'm going to do a sermon series on the story of Ruth and Naomi from the Old Testament. And he said, how about if you come up and help me a little bit, and you could speak like Naomi. You could, you could, you know, you're like Naomi. I was like, so insulted. (laughs) I mean, that was my honest first response, like, wait a minute, Naomi, isn't she that old lady in the Bible that got all bitter, and you know, she's all mad at God? I said, "Is, is that what you think I'm like because of this dark season? And he's like, Katie, just just read the story again. Pray about it. And so I had to humble myself. And and I thought of this this verse in the New Testament that I love um, that kind of talks about stories of old. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. I thought of that verse, and I thought... Absolutely, Lord, I need hope. I need to be encouraged. I need to be taught. And so I humble myself. And it's funny. When you get real before God with humility, he will show you stuff deep in your heart. Because every single one of us has a measure of self-deception within us. And we don't know it. That's why it's called self-deception. Deception. <laughs> so we need help, like getting in there and seeing what's, what can be brought out. Not for condemnation. Not for like, <clears throat> you know, what? Are, why are you thinking that way? Are you an idiot? No. But for, for goodness, for growth. So I'm like, God, am I like Naomi? And oh boy, he showed me um, truly when you when you get in the Bible, the Bible gets in you. When you read the Bible, the Bible starts reading you. And he showed me, oh yeah, <laughs> you got some big commonalities. But before I tell you the rest of my story, I want you to hear. Naomi's story and Ruth's story. Now, I could tell it to you, I could summarize it, I could read it from the Bible, but there is this fabulous ministry out there called the Bible Project. If you've ever heard of, I've heard of it, a few of you are like, yes! Um, so, I'm just going to show you the story of Ruth and Naomi. It's about seven minutes.
2: The Book of Ruth. It's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer, and their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter 1 opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled, and it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there, the father of the family dies. And the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpa agrees But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi, and she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together, and the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew, and she laments her tragic fate chapter two begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions. So that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field and in doing so Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah To show generosity to the immigrant and the poor Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi He prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness So Ruth comes home that day and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz and she is thrilled She says Boaz is their family redeemer now This family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter three begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow. And she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up, and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter four, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter one. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz. And each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed, and that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right, The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life. But not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer, who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about.
1: <laughs> Before I continue with the sermon, I want a little commercial break, okay? The Bible Project, oh my goodness, it is free. You can Google it, and you learn so much about the Bible and the different genres and how to read them and understand them. And and they have almost every book of the Bible in like seven minutes like that where you really could have an understanding. And, and here's the thing. Sermons are great, but many of you will not remember hardly anything that I say today, which is so fine. Because I feel like sermons are kind of like a... a meal out at a restaurant once a week. Like they're fun, they're great, they're nourishing. And I know Pastor Tom feeds you very well with his sermons every week. (laughs) But to be spiritually healthy, what really strengthens you is how you feed yourself every single day. And, And the thing is, oftentimes we don't do that very well because we say, Well, the Bible's complicated and it's it's kind of deep and I don't really get it. Hey, the Bible project will help you. I mean, literally, seven minutes. You could watch one of these every day while you're eating your toast, and in six months, you would have just such a wealth of knowledge about the Bible, and that would strengthen you. So, okay, enough of the commercial. Now. The story of Ruth and Naomi, and, and them saying, you know, it invites you to see for yourself, to put yourself in that story, and how is that God at work? Okay, so I'm focusing on Naomi, and I'm God, like, God, how am I like her? Truthfully, I saw, he showed me a myriad of ways. I can only tackle two this morning, tell you about two. The first one, is I feel like Naomi, when the tragedy hit, she had kind of an identity crisis, because Naomi means pleasantness, and then she changes her name to bitter, so, and and what struck me was, I think Naomi, Lost all the roles that she had played in life up to that point in time. She was no longer a mother, she was no longer a wife, she no longer had a home. I'm guessing she didn't have any kind of job where she could support uh, herself. So she lost every role that she would have considered would have given her value and worth. And so I think in her mind, she rehearsed that over and over and was like, Well, who am I? I'm just bitter. And um, then the second inner conflict that I think Naomi had because of the outer conflict was her theology. Because she states very clearly, God is against me. God is punishing me. God's mad at me, so he killed my husband and my two kids. And that's kind of what she's thinking about God. So Two big questions, those big existential questions that if we're maturing people, we will ask ourselves at some point along the way and probably repeatedly. Who am I really and who is God really? So with my cancer, prior to this season in my life, I, my day was full. I had places to go, things to do, people to meet, and then my surgeon's like, "Yeah, throw that thing away," for at least nine months. Turned into about eighteen months, and he's like, um, "You're going nowhere. You're doing nothing except treatments." Um, and positionally, obviously, I was still a wife. I was still a mother, a friend, a churchgoer—that you know, that kind of thing. Positionally, but I could not carry out any of those roles anymore. And to be dead honest, I felt worthless. I felt useless. I felt unlovable. Here's kind of a snapshot of my inner mind at that time. I was in our bathroom and tears just rolling down my face as I looked in the mirror. And my husband came around the corner. He's like, honey, what's wrong? I said, I am so hideous. I'm so ugly, you know, I'd lost all my hair and all, no eyebrows or eyelashes, and I'm like, and I can't do anything, I can't do anything for you, I can't cook, I can't clean, I can't have any kind of stimulating conversations, my brain is so foggy, and we can't do anything that husband and wives, you know, get to do, <laughs> and, um, and I, I'm just a blob, and I said, I'm a big baby, too, because other people go through cancer, and they thrive. And I was going to thrive, and I'm a mess. And I said, I hate myself, and I don't know how you can love me. And Mike took, his, took my chin in his hand, and he said, you look at me right now. Where did you get the idea that I love you for what you can do for me? or for your looks, for what you have, or even for what, what your desires are. He said, I love you because you are you. And I knew that was kind of a transformational moment in my dark period because I knew God was saying the same thing. You are not what you do, what you have, or even what you desire. What you do and what you have and what you desire might be true at that point about you. But it's not the truest thing about you. That is not who you are. And, and the thing is, I used to teach on this prior to getting cancer. And I wasn't on identity stuff. And I wasn't being hypocritical. I wasn't saying something that I didn't believe. But you know how sometimes you know things in your head and you believe them, but they're kind of head knowledge. And then God lets you get some experiential knowledge about that truth, okay? I feel like God, it's almost like a spiral. You learn something, but then you go around, you get it, you learn it in a different way, and it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. So I, I knew that, I would teach that. All of a sudden, God's taking me deeper in this identity thing, and he says, what you do and what you have and what you desire is more about image, not identity. It's more about what you think other people are thinking about you, or even what you're thinking about yourself. And words have the power of life and death. Words said over you by other people, but also the words you say to yourself. They are powerful. And I feel like Naomi got in that ruminating cycle in her own head, and, and it just turned into bitterness. And I felt like God was, was telling me, don't do that. Please know who you really are. You are created in my image for a reason, for a purpose, that Latin phrase, "amago day something to hang on to. You are created in his image to be in a relationship with him. Now, that image gets marred because basically human beings were like, hey, we'll decide what's good and evil. We don't need you, God. You know, we turn our back on God, and that image gets marred. But in Christ's we have the opportunity to, to start restoring that image, to be given a new identity, and then grow in to the image of Christ through the sanctification process, which is just a fancy word for growing. Growing up to look more and more and more like him and have that, that image restored. In Ephesians, it says it is through grace, by grace, through faith, that you are saved. Not your good works, not what you do, and then God loves you, but in his grace and mercy through faith, he saves you, and then you want to be good. <laughs> right? <laughs> the gospel in a nutshell. It, Ephesians says, You are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He he whispered to me, You are my beloved. I love you because you're you. I love you because I created you, and I created you anew in Christ Jesus. Stop worrying about your image and understand deeply, experientially your identity. But here's the thing. And some of you, some of you this morning, or here or online, you might be thinking, all right, well, that's nice for you. But that's not me. But the truth is, Every single human being everywhere throughout all the ages has been created in God's image for a relationship with him. All of you. And all of you are invited in to the kingdom. All of you are invited in if you choose that through faith to be given that new identity. And And just be so beloved by him. I don't know if you guys sing that song here, I am who you say I am. Love that song. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. And I'm forgiven. And I'm, I'm the apple of his eye. And I'm just so loved. And so are you. Now... Finding our identity in that securely is really hard if our theology is a little skewed, okay? Because big deal if I'm loved by God, if I think God is mean and spiteful and plays games with his people, um, right? And so back to Naomi, her theology is that God is punishing her. Now, many of us in this room would say, oh, well, I would never think that. I know God. It, and like I said before cancer, I said, I know God. I know who he is. But again, God taking me deeper and showing me, oh yeah, during your dark days you said, God, what have I done to deserve this? Why, why did you have to put me on the shelf? Was I not good enough? Was I not serving enough? And pleasing you enough, so you had to kind of sideline me. And and truthfully, one of the very first conversations I had um, about my diagnosis, telling a loved one, she said to me, great, this is God punishing me because I will not fully surrender to him. So he's going to kill you to get back at me. My heart was broken. I'm like... Honey, God is not like that. He is not like that. But again, truth be told, all of us get those niggling thoughts in our head, don't we? And and kind of doubt and kind of wonder, how can we state unequivocally that God is not like that? Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to show us what God the Father is like. Jesus said, if you really knew me, you would know the Father. He made it very clear, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus took a lot of time to talk about who he really was. He and the Father and the Spirit, who they, who, their character, their ways, the way they want to interact with people. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you are hungry, if you have that niggling sense that there's something more, come to me. I will fill you. He, he said, if you're thirsty, I'll give you rivers of living water, and you will thirst no more. He said, if, you, if you're brokenhearted, I came to heal the brokenhearted. He said, if you're in bondage, I, I came to set the captives free. If, if, if you're walking in darkness, I'm the light. If you're, if you're downhearted, I'm hope. I am life. I am resurrection. Um, I came to set you free. I'm all about freedom. And he went on and on. And he, and he taught us about God. He said, God is Abba. He is Papa. He is a father, a good, good father. He's good all the time. And he's merciful and he's loving and he's forgiving. And that's who he is. And when we develop our theology, just rock solid and know his character more and more and more, then we can secure our identity in that relationship more and more and more. Okay, so the resolution of Naomi's story. God wasn't out to punish her and ruin her because he was mad at her for... Her sins, her husband and her kids died because people die on earth. There is trouble here on earth and bad stuff happens. But God was writing a bigger story all along and God restored things to Naomi and wrote wrote that bigger story, if you will. And so... There's resolution. In my own story, I am disease-free <laughs> right now. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and um, kind of a kind of a neat little resolution thing with my story. When when I was first diagnosed, they ran all these tests to see if the cancer had spread, and they said, "Oh, you have a bad appendix, also." So we're gonna address the cancer first, and then we'll pull your appendix out. I'm like, oh, okay, that's good. So they take the appendix, and then they biopsied it, and they're like, no one is ever grateful for breast cancer, ever. But you should be, because it saved your life. Your appendix was filled with cancer. And appendix cancer is asymptomatic and they usually don't find it until it bursts. And then the cancer goes all through your body and there's no treatment and you die. And he's like, because you had breast cancer, we found it and we got it out. I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> Praise God. So I feel like, all right, I'm going to have another couple decades, hopefully, um, here on earth before I go to heaven, all right? But in the meantime, I can experience heaven on earth because I can walk in his presence. I can have his peace, not as the world gives, but as he gives. That's so different. And you all can too. You can have that heaven on earth. If you, if you all fully understand Amago Day, you're made in his image for a reason to be in relationship with him. If you decide, yes, I believe, I believe in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for me, and I want I, I want him, I want to be in his kingdom. And then you continue to grow and and feed your theology of his character, and then decide, I will settle my identity. In him and him alone and quit worrying about my image and what other people think they think that I think that they think about me <laughs> and just be firm in who he says I am. That's that's for all of us. So that's it. That's my message. <laughs> I can honestly see why Tommy loves you all so much and and loves being your pastor. You're great listeners and a wonderful, wonderful group of people. Thanks. Um, Can I just say a quick prayer and then Tom will come up? Oh, Father, 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 thank you that we're together for such a time as this, all of us going through our own conflicts of some nature, Lord and then the inner conflict that happens. And you are not uh, mad at us or disappointed that we're, we're struggling. Struggles are good. And we'll just be honest about it, because it gives you an opportunity to deepen us, deepen us in our relationship with you, in our understanding of who you are and your goodness. So thank you. Thank you for the struggles. Thank you for your patience, and thank you that you desire all of us, all of us, to know you better and be more secure in you. So make that happen, and we love you and praise you that you will. Amen.
0: Could we stand together? We're going to do a song together, and then there's something... I want to pray over you,
3: and God. Yeah. Nah.
0: So the first night of our youth retreat a few weeks ago, I was speaking on repentance, and as I was preparing for it, I got this very distinct image of this sixth grade girl back in Montevideo, and she had a very traumatic background, but she loved coming on Wednesday nights. I had a group of fourth through sixth graders of about 60, and her name was Annie, and she was, we, we had, had to have strict rules because of crowd control, and she was just being naughty that night. And I'm like, Annie, you have to stop talking. While I'm talking or I'm gonna have to kick you out. And, and sure enough, she starts doing it again. I'm just about to kick her out. And I feel just a check. And I said, Annie, what is wrong? And she just bursts into tears. We, we get it out of her that her, her uncle had died the night before and it was her favorite uncle and all the kids gathered around her. And I was like, oh my. I almost multiplied her trauma. <laughs> what I felt like the Lord was saying was before you can even preach to the students about repentance many of them have been disconnected from the goodness of God they have experienced all kinds of stuff in 2020 all kinds of darkness all kinds of tragic things around them and then oftentimes adults just want them to behave and just want them to do the right thing, and oftentimes church just, just do the right thing and do the right and 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 God doesn't look at the outward; He looks at the heart. He knows what's going on with people, and so He wanted every one of these students to get reconnected to His goodness before they could even respond to Him. And so if you wouldn't mind, if you wouldn't just mind closing your eyes right now and I just think God wants to do something for you. We experience things on this outward level called image. And oftentimes it's, we're guilty of it even in church. But God knows. He knows what you've experienced. He knows what your reaction to it was. And he also knows the trauma that oftentimes we get from church, from people that are supposed to be helping us, who don't take time to know what's going on inside of us. And that creates a trauma of its own. And and he just wants to say today that that was not him, that he is here to heal. But he needs to reconnect you, wherever, wherever you are in the spectrum of things. He wants to reconnect you to his goodness today. And so, Father, I pray for each one that, like Naomi, has just had horrible things happen and just come to conclusions about you that are just not, they're not right. Conclusions about how you feel about them that are simply, they're just wrong, but there seems to be so much evidence. How can I not believe this? How can I not feel this? Lord, would you wash the lies away? Would you grant each one a taste of your goodness? Would you reconnect us with your goodness so that we can make a response to you? And then, Lord, as is often the case, people are not listening to you, and your name can't even, so you will raise up a Ruth that will show in a human body your kindness, your loyalty, your goodness, and just, I I am here for you. I am with you. I don't care that you're bitter. I am standing by you. I am not going away. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you help us to recognize all the ways you're speaking. And then, God, would you send us from this place today to be Ruth, because there's a lot of bitterness out there. There's a lot of people that are are just disconnected to anything to do with you, and they need somebody with flesh on that will give them a taste of your goodness. Could that be us? Lord, we want to say thank you today for bringing Katie here and giving us a taste of the goodness of God. Thank you, thank you God. I especially pray for those that have been through cancer, have had loved ones that have gone through cancer, and everything she described, you've either experienced yourself or you've seen it in someone else. Would you wash us with your goodness today? And Lord, send us out of here, making us your goodness in this world, we ask. Sarah, sing over us a little.
3: You're for me. Oh God, you are for me you not against me. You love me all the time. And you are for me.
0: You are for us, God.
3: You are for me. You're not against me. You love me all the time. You're for me.
0: Dislodge lies, God.
3: You're for me. Lies in our heart, You're lies, lies in our head.
0: Spirit of revelation, come.
3: For me.
0: Melt away the me. clouds of doubt and sadness.
3: You love me all the time. For me.
0: Reconnect us, Holy Spirit. Reconnect us with the goodness of God.
3: Me. You love me all the time. Me all the
0: time. Lord, would you teach us to rest in your love instead of perform for your love? I am the beloved, I'm not trying to be the beloved. Not hoping to be the beloved. I am the beloved. Could you say that with me? I am the beloved. I am the beloved. This morning's one-year Bible reading said that he's given the Holy Spirit to pour the love of God into our hearts. So, Lord, take away the ceiling we've put and let your love pour in us and then through us we pray. We ask this together in Jesus' name.